This, uh, this season is, uh, is a wild season. It's Christmas. It's time, right? Like we just celebrated Christmas last week and uh, I came actually down on Christmas Day from New Hampshire. Um, don't ask me how, but I drove, uh, a nine hour drive in eight hours. Um, and we stopped four times. So you do the math. It was like a wormhole or something. Um, <laughs> Uh, Christmas time is one of my favorite times of the year. This time of year is really my favorite time. I, I used to hate Christmas for a long time, uh, believe it or not, primarily because um, I used to work at Radio Shack in the Martinsburg Mall. Anybody remember the Martinsburg Mall? Um, for those of you that are locals, anybody remember Radio Shack? <laughs> the Shack, as they used to call it. Uh, I worked there for seven years, so for seven Christmas seasons... I had to listen to that dumb Mariah Carey song about 40 times a day for like two months. And it genuinely made me hate Christmas time. I just absolutely could not stand it. I'm convinced that there are two types of people in the world. Those that like the song, All I Want for Christmas, and those that are going to heaven when they die. Um, <laughs> pure facts. That song turned me into a super Scrooge. And I just like, every time I heard it on the radio, I just, I went into a fit of rage. I was like, I hate that song. And then something happened. I don't know what it was. We, we, maybe it was about 10 years or so ago. I was at staff here at Hope and we had our very first Christmas Carol collective. And we came in and I don't know if it was the lights. I don't know if it was the hot cocoa or the environment or the fact that we didn't sing all I want for Christmas, but the spirit of Christmas ignited in my heart again. And I fell in love with it. It helped me to remember what this season was really all about. And so we've really been exploring as a church this month, as it led up to the Christmas season the prophecies about the coming of Jesus into the world. The, the Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled through Christ. And in fact, the, the graphic that you see up on the screen uh, was created because this, gra- this graph represents every single time a prophecy was made in the Old Testament. And the end of that line shows you where that prophecy was fulfilled somewhere else in Scripture As you can see, there's a lot of prophecy. In fact, about 30% of the Bible is made up of prophetic material, which means that what was, when it was written about, what was written about at the time hadn't happened yet. And so we have been looking at this uh, over the course of the last month. And if you haven't been with us, just a kind of a quick recap uh, of this month's teachings, we've been looking at this pattern that we've seen with the nation of Israel. This back and forth that they had with God. And they were, they were a troubled people, eh? Kind of messed up a little bit. They, they, they had difficulty with God. God would make these amazing promises to Israel. He would make these amazing promises of protection and provision. And he would tell them, listen, if you would just do the things that I tell you to do, then you'll be blessed and you'll be protected. But But man, they just kept getting into trouble. They kept worshiping other gods. They kept making these allegiances with these wicked nations. And God would tell them, listen, your actions, they're going to lead you down a road that's going to bring pain and judgment into your life. 
So don't go that way. And, and, and when he would tell them that, he would also say, listen, you're going to do this, but this is what's going to happen. I'm going to bring deliverance to you. I'm going to promise you that, that along with this judgment, because you're going to turn your back on me, I'm also going to promise deliverance as well. And this promise was not just a, a promise for Israel, but it was a promise for the whole world. And uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've unpacked several Old Testament prophecies which have led up to the birth of Jesus. So to wrap up this series, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about what happened after Jesus was born. You guys ready to do that this morning? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm as ready as you look. In our humanly way of thinking, in our humanly way of thinking, it, it, we assume that just because Jesus came, that that doesn't, that means that there's not supposed to be any more suffering. I think naturally as humans, the idea of a savior means God's saving us from something, right? Isn't that what the savior was supposed to do? Bring healing, set the, the captive free, bring restoration and it's true. Jesus did do that. He accomplished that in so many ways in his life, in ministry. And he's done it through the church over the last 2,000 years. Man, and over the last 2,000 years, Christians have paved the way in creating hospitals and orphanages. We paved the way in building the world's universities We've created nonprofit organizations that, that go into war-torn areas and minister to those that are in those countries. Jesus, through his church, has accomplished so much. But yet, when we look around in the world, there's still suffering. And there's still pain. And there's still distress. And there's still sickness. How, as believers, do we reconcile this idea of the Savior coming into the world with the condition that we still see the world in. I think we, we think very much like the Jews of the first century did. Their mentality was that somehow because the Savior was coming into the world that that meant all of their suffering was going to completely cease and in that moment. But this is a promise that God doesn't make in Christ's first coming. So how do we navigate this life with Jesus as our Savior? And that's what we're going to explore today. So if you would, I'm going to ask you to please stand up on your feet. Here at Hope Community Church, this is kind of a tradition we have as we prepare our hearts for the Word of God. We're going to be reading today out of... Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. You can turn to your Bibles or they should have it up on the screen as well. This is what it says. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. 
This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled was what, uh, what was spoken by the prophet uh, Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We invite your Holy Spirit into this place, into each person as they hear the word of God being preached today. I pray, God, that you would use me as your vessel to speak truth. God, that that truth would be planted as a seed into our soul, that that seed would take root, and God, that it would ultimately grow to produce fruit in our lives, the fruit of hope. We thank you for this, and we ask this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Now, I realize that, uh, that this particular scripture that we've read this morning probably isn't the happiest scripture. Probably doesn't make you have butterflies when you read it, but... All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the, the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the Bible tells us that everything that's written in scripture is really there because A, God wanted it to be there, and B, because there's something that we can learn from it if we allow the spirit to move in us. So this portion of Matthew that we just read oftentimes gets kind of left out in our narratives about the coming Savior into the world, uh, mainly because it's not pretty, um, and uh, it shows the ugliness of, of human nature, the, the, the jealousy of a king that didn't want the Messiah to come and usurp his, his power and his authority. Not to mention that it would make for pretty scary bedtime story um, as you're talking to your kids. Could you imagine Christmas night? I mean, we, we talk about Jesus being bored, but, you know, you're sitting on the edge of your bed and you're like, and Jesus was born and then King Herod killed all of the children. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> right. And some of our parents did that to us and that's why we're screwed up today, right? But it's the truth, and it's, it's the ugly truth of this story that the coming of the Savior into the world 
didn't guarantee that there would be less suffering. In fact, his coming meant that families that had nothing to do with Jesus, that probably didn't even know Joseph and Mary, had to wake up one day and bury their child because King Herod wanted Jesus dead. And what Matthew says here is astounding in what we just read. He says that this thing that Herod did, that God knew it was going to happen, that, that prophets prophesied in advance that this awful event was going to take place. And Matthew quotes the following Old Testament prophecies to, to allude to this. In Hosea 11.1, 1, he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, this verse is part of a larger passage uh, in which the prophet Hosea reflects on the relationship between God and the people of Israel. And he uses the metaphor of a parent and a child. And the imagery in Hosea 11.1 1 actually draws on the historical narrative of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and God delivering them as recorded in the book of Exodus in the Bible. The reference to my son being called out of Egypt is, is a direct allusion to the Exodus where Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt and God delivered them from bondage. And the Exodus is a crucial part of, of Israel's identity, a part of their history, who they were. And it showed a picture of God's love and his guidance. However, if you read the context of Hosea 11, the prophet is using this historical narrative to, to emphasize God's love for Israel, but it also shows the waywardness of Israel, the fact that, that despite his deliverance, that they would continue to reject and turn their backs on God. The, the metaphor of a parent calling a child out of Egypt conveys a sense of God's care and nurture for the nation of, of Israel. But if, as we said, if you continue reading those verses, you'll see that, that Israel turns their back on God and God announces judgment for their disobedience. And here what Matthew does is he equates Jesus with Israel. In fact, if you read the Bible enough, this is a common theme where, where scripture equates Christ with Israel because he's a representative of Israel. We know he's a representative of the whole world. But specifically in the Old Testament, it really, it paints him as this, this representative of Israel. So the Hosea, the prophet says, God calls his son out of Egypt. And remember, we talked a few weeks ago about how the Bible does prophecy, that there's like this dual fulfillment. There's kind of like a, a right now and a, and a not yet sort of thing with prophecy. In fact, when a prophet would make a prophecy, Oftentimes, the prophecy that he gave had an immediate fulfillment of some sort, which meant that it would hap something would happen around the lifetime of that prophet. But usually, there was something that was meant to come later on. So there's like this dual fulfillment thing that typically happens. Next, Matthew recalls what the prophet Jeremiah said in Matthew. Oh, sorry, in Jeremiah thirty-one fifteen. Thus says the Lord. A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they're no more. This verse is part of a larger passage known as the, the prophecy of Rachel's 
weeping. And in this passage, the, the prophet Jeremiah speaks on behalf of Rachel, who's the, the wife of the patriarch Jacob, lamenting and mourning her descendants. Now, the context of this passage is actually the Babylonian exile, which we've talked quite a bit about during this series. And uh, in the 6th century BC, remember, King Nebuchadnezzar II came in and he conquered Jerusalem in 586. And he took a large portion of the Jews in Israel to Babylon into captivity. And the reference to Rachel weeping for her children because they're no more is this metaphorical expression of the collective sorrow of the mourning of the people that were in captivity in Babylon. This passage in Jeremiah 31 uh, goes on to provide a message of hope and restoration as it makes a promise to the Jewish people that one day God is going to deliver them and restore them back to their land and create a new covenant with them. This promise of restoration was uh, meant to be seen as a source of uh, excitement and comfort for the people who were enduring the hardships of exile. And this has been a theme that we've been in all month, if you've paid attention. This, this pattern that we've seen throughout Israel's history, a pattern of distress and deliverance. And what's happening in the lives of Mary and Joseph in this story in Matthew repeats that pattern. Because here they are, the parents of the Messiah, Jesus. Could you imagine? The Messiah had been prophesied for ages and an angel shows up and tells them, you're going to be the parents of the Savior of the world. What incredible news that that must have been. But here's the thing. An angel shows up and says, someone wants to kill your child. Now, I don't know about you. I'm a parent. I don't care how many angels appear to you. If someone tells you that someone wants to kill your child, that's going to create a little bit of stress in your life. Amen? Just a little bit. If you know that someone, not just anybody, but someone that's in power and authority to be like the president of the United States saying, I want, I want to whack your kid, right? Like, this is a big deal. This person has power and resources and money, and they're after your child. No matter how many angels show up, that's going to kind of cause a little bit of distress, that will shake you up and make you feel a little bit nervous. But yet, in the midst of that distress, God promises deliverance to them. And in fact, it didn't take God by surprise at all, did it? Which kind of leads me to my first point today, and that is this, that God is aware. God is aware. Mary and Joseph are instructed to leave and head for Egypt to escape Herod. And, you know, the man is a legitimate psychopath. How do we know this? Not just because the Bible said so, but we have historical records from the first century AD written by a Jewish historian by the name of Flavius Josephus that records in his Antiquities of the Jews that Herod was crazy. He not only killed his own wife, but he murdered his three sons simply because he suspected them of conspiracy. This is not a man that is afraid to take a life. But God wasn't surprised by Herod's actions. I think it's important to know that, that when we go through life and crazy things occur, while it might take us by surprise, 
it doesn't shock God. You think he's up in heaven when, when all hell's breaking loose around us thinking, oh my, what are we here? Didn't see this one coming. No. He's aware of those tumultuous times in our lives. And he even lets us know that tough times are going to come. That's why in Matthew 2.13 it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. God is fully aware of the difficulties that you're experiencing right now and the ones that you will experience in the future. He planned for Joseph and Mary and Jesus, their escape. And I know that some of you right now, you're, you're in it. You're going through a difficult situation. You, you have a marriage that's on the rocks. You're struggling with sin or addiction in your life. You got a sickness going on. You're in a difficult time. And it's easy to think in those moments, God, where are you at? Do you even hear my prayer? Are you even there? And can I tell you that he is there, that he does hear, and he has a plan for you. He has a plan for you, and it might not be easy. It might be a difficult thing that he's allowing you to walk through, but he has a plan for you. If you can trust him, he'll work it out. Amen. Earlier this year, when Diana and I uh, didn't have a church to belong to because of our church needing to close its doors, when everything came crashing in around us, I would be lying if I said there wasn't a time or two when I thought, God, where are you at in this? What are we supposed to do? There are going to be seasons in your life when all hell is breaking loose. And it feels like the world is crashing around you. When the bills aren't being paid, when that doctor report comes back for your kid and it's not what you wanted it to be. And you have a choice in that moment to trust or not. What will you do? Will you lean on your own understanding? Or you, will you trust in the one that knows the end from the beginning? And he holds you, the scripture tells us, in his right hand. The second thing that, that we need to know today is that we must be aware. We must be aware. Matthew 2, 16 through 18 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they're no more. Sometimes as a believer, we get to witness the deliverance of God happen. It's an amazing thing where God can turn something so ugly into something beautiful. But 
there's two things that we need to know about those situations. Number one is that it doesn't mean we don't suffer in the process because we're never, we're never promised that that won't happen. And number two is that just because the church is spared sometimes doesn't mean that other people don't suffer in the process. This is one of those situations where, where God saves Mary and Joseph and Jesus. They're spared. But guess what? There were families that woke up the next day that weren't. There were families that had to bury their children. And I believe that, that God placed the church here to be aware of the suffering that happens around us. The world will see the church be delivered at times but they will still suffer. And God has placed us here as the church to weep with those who weep. To offer our presence when people are walking through things that are so hard that there just aren't words that we can put to it. This is the purpose of the church. Being aware of God's salvation in our own lives and that he provides for us should make us sensitive to those that are suffering around us. This is why Paul tells us in his second letter to the Christians living in Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians 1.4. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. One thing that we're promised over and over and over and over again in scripture is that life is hard. That it can be unfair. That bad things happen to good people. But God is not unaware. And neither should we be. And in that promise that things will be hard in life, he also promises peace in the midst of those situations. He promises us peace if we can lean on him and trust and believe. And can I tell you now, for 23 years of my life, I have leaned on those promises and he has never let me down. He has never let me down. He's been with me and I believe that he is with you. We just need to trust in him for the, that peace in those moments. The last thing and the final thing that we need to know is that seasons change. I'm going to have the band come up on the stage when they're ready here. Matthew 2, 19 through 20 says this. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. Now it's super easy when you're in the middle of a storm to feel like, when is this going to end? Is this ever, is this ever going to stop? I can imagine Mary and Joseph feeling like, ah, oh, God, we, we, we had to uproot our family and move to a foreign nation and, and hide out. And now I'm, now we're running for our lives from this king and, and, and we got to constantly look over our shoulder. I don't know. Are you going to tell us to get up and move again? And that must have been stressful living kind of under that pressure, knowing that, that this was happening. God, is this going to end? I went to 
Universal Studios a few years ago and I rode the Simpsons 3D ride. Don't ever get on it. I had the worst vertigo literally like 30 seconds into that ride. We got off the ride. People were like throwing up in the bushes. It was awful. And then for like an hour after that, I had vertigo. I was like, it was awful. And I'm sitting there, is this my life now, God? Like, am I just stuck like this? And listen, when we go through difficult times in our life and we're just dizzy because it feels like everything around us is spinning and we can't make sense of left or right or up and down and we're like going through it. It's easy in those moments to just think, where are you, God? Is this ever going to end? Is this my life now? Am I just stuck in this? And it's so hard in those moments to be able to be able to see beyond the dizziness of that situation. It's hard when you're all alone and you're crying and you're thinking about that situation that you're going through to think that it's going to change. But can I tell you something today? And I want you to hear me when I say this. Never assign permanence to something that God has deemed temporary. Never assign permanence to something that God has deemed temporary. This life is short. It doesn't last forever. And the seasons that we walk through don't last forever either. They change. They can be long. They can be difficult. But we serve a God that knows the beginning from the end. And if we can be aware of that and know that the season that we're in isn't meant to be a permanent thing, that even in that season, God can work out beauty and God can work out deliverance and God can work out healing. And when he does that, it it will fill us with something, something very important, something that each of us need, something that the human spirit thrives on. And that thing is hope. And if there's one thing that we're supposed to learn, that we're supposed to take from this season where we're, we've been talking all month about the coming of the Savior into the world, it's hope. It's hope. Come on, some of you here, you need to remember what it was that God rescued you from. You need to remember who it was that God rescued you from. He saved you from yourself. He saved you from some pretty crappy situations. Some of us need to remember the old life that we left behind. So because in the middle of a dark situation, when we're going through that tumultuous time and and the storms of life are raging around us and we're dizzy and we can't make heads from tails, we know that we serve a God that knows the beginning from the end. That says that I have a plan for you. And if we can remember that he's aware, that he knows our situation, that he knew it before we ever stepped foot in it. If we can be aware of of the fact that as we're going through those, that God is doing something in us and through us and wants to use that difficulty in our life for our future ministry. Everything that you're walking through right now that's hard, that you're thinking, God, I can't do this. It feels too heavy. That God wants to use that as a part of your testimony. Your test 
is meant to be a part of your testimony. Amen. It's meant to be something that God brings you through, that you look at those around you, and you bring the comfort to those people that God has brought to you in that affliction. Amen. And some of us need to remember that today. Some of us, we need to open our hearts to the loving God who created us, that knows what suffering is like. This isn't a God who, who's sitting up on a throne that, that is unaware of human, human suffering. This time of year, we talk about the God that left that throne, that came to this earth, and he experienced suffering with us. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to suffer. That baby that we, we, we brought up on stage for the Christmas play a few years ago, that baby Jesus, that's the same baby that grew into Christ the man and went to the cross and bore all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the curse of mankind as the nails were pierced through his skin. And as he breathed his last, same way he took that first breath as a baby, he took a last breath as a man and said, it is finished. God, I did it. I bore their suffering. I suffered with them. I bore their pain. And the whole purpose of that, the promises of that, is so that one day, one day, that sky is going to crack open. There will be a trumpet that sounds, and the feet of the Messiah will touch the ground, and all of that sin, and all of that pain, and all of that suffering will flee the very presence of Messiah the King. Come on, if you believe that this morning, stand up on your feet this morning. We're going to give a shout of praise today. We're going to believe that some of us need to remember. We need to remember what God has delivered us from. He's given you hope. He's given you a future. He's given you, he, he has plans for you, not for your harm, but for your well-being. I don't care what you're walking through right now. There is a promise. There is a promise for God for peace in the midst of that. Not a promise that you won't go through it, but a promise that he's with you. He knows what it's like. He suffered with you. And scripture says to rejoice as you go through all kinds of sufferings and trials. Because we bear the marks in our bodies of the suffering of Christ. Come on church, if you believe that this morning, give a shout of praise. Honor God. And let's go to him in prayer. Father God, we thank you today. I pray, dear Lord, for each person today under the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray for that person right now whose marriage is shaky whose relationship is shaky, God, who's been wondering, Lord, where are you in this, God, that you would restore that marriage. I pray for those that are struggling with addiction right now, Father, God, that they wouldn't lose hope, God, that you would give them a sense of a, a brighter future to know that they can be delivered and that you can use them, God. You can use them for your kingdom to bring others that are going through that to the other side. God, we pray for those that are sick in this place right now, God, that in their infirmities, in their weakness, God, that you would show your strength. God, that you would give them the power, dear God, to glorify your name, even in the midst of difficulty, God. Lord, we pray for those, dear God, that don't even have a relationship with you. Lord, but have been beaten down by life over and over and over again. And today, we make the commitment to you today, Lord, that we give our lives to you, that we trust you. Come on, I pray for that person today that needs Jesus in their life, that needs a Savior, that needs hope. And if you're here today and that's you, I just want to challenge you to open your hearts, open your minds, open your, your lives to the presence of God and watch what he does. 
He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. And he wants to give you his perfect peace. Amen. Let's give a shout of glory to God's name one more time this morning. Praise God. Praise God. Listen. This is the truth that all of us as believers need to get right. We have to understand these things. Because there's a world around us that's broken and lost, that's that's looking for hope. We have the greatest message in the world. And you can't fake that kind of hope. It has to be real. It has to be something that's just stirs up inside of your very being that when you walk through difficult times that people don't look at you as like everybody else that goes through a hard time who's who's broken and lost and and has no sense of direction no we've been promised a future we've been promised hope we've been promised glory and when the world looks at the believer who has suffered and, and they suffer well it makes them question, what do, do they have that I don't? And that's, that's the hope of the gospel. The promise of eternity with God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And my prayer for you this week is that you will carry that peace with you everywhere you go. You can't fake it. You get it by spending time with Jesus in, at home when you wake up in the mornings, when you hit your knees, when you're on your way to work, when you're in the shower, wherever you pray to God, when you're in the presence of God and you spend time with him, that peace floods your heart. He wants to fill you with his peace, but you can't get it any other way. You can't get it just coming to church one day a week. You got to spend time in his presence, amen. Just the way Jesus, the Son of God, did, the way he modeled for us, the way he wants us to do as well, amen. So my prayer for you is that you go in peace. Seek his face in 2024. Seek his face as the fast comes up. We celebrate next week, spending time in the presence of God. Seek his face and watch what he does in your life. Watch as he starts to change the lives of the people around you in 2024. Amen. God bless you, Hope Community Church. We're so grateful that you worship with us today. We will see you next Sunday. Take care.